This was a nasty thought, and one which Sophie had tried not to think about up to now. It made quite a difference. This contract you're under, she said, it's with Wizard Howl, is it? Of course, said the demon. Its voice took on a bit of a whine again. I'm fastened to this hearth and I can't stir so much as a foot away. I'm forced to do most of the magic around here. I have to maintain the castle and keep it moving and do all the special effects that scare people off, as well as anything else Hal wants. Hal's quite heartless, you know. Sophie did not need telling that Hal was heartless. On the other hand, the demon was probably quite as wicked. Don't you get anything out of this contract at all, she said. I wouldn't have entered into it if I didn't, said the demon, flickering sadly. But I wouldn't have done if I'd known what it would be like. I'm being exploited. In spite of her caution, Sophie felt a good deal of sympathy for the demon. She thought of herself making hats for Fanny while Fanny went gadding. All right, she said. What are the terms of the contract? How do I break it? An eager purple grin spread across the demon's blue face. You agree to a bargain? If you agree to break the spell on me, Sophie said, with a brave sense of saying something fatal. Done! cried the demon, his long face leaping gleefully up the chimney. I'll break your spell the very instant you break my contract. Then tell me how I break your contract, Sophie said. The orange eyes glinted at her and looked away. I can't. Part of the contract is that neither the wizard nor I can say what the main clause is. Sophie saw that she'd been tricked. She opened her mouth to tell the demon that it could sit in the fireplace until doomsday in that case. The demon realised she was going to. Don't be hasty, it crackled. You can find out what it is if you watch and listen carefully. I implore you to try. The contract isn't doing either of us any good in the long run, and I do keep my word. The fact that I'm stuck here shows that I keep it. It was in earnest, leaping about on its logs in an agitated way. Sophie again felt a great deal of sympathy. But if I'm to watch and listen, that means I have to stay here in Howell's Castle, she objected. Only about a month. Remember, I have to study your spell too, the demon pleaded. But what possible excuse can I give for doing that? Sophie asked. We'll think of one. Hal's pretty useless at most things. In fact, the demon said, venomously hissing, he's too wrapped up in himself to see beyond his nose half the time. We can deceive him as long as you'll agree to stay. Very well, Sophie said. I'll stay. Now find an excuse. She settled herself comfortably in the chair while the demon thought. It thought aloud, in a little crackling, flickering murmur, which reminded Sophie rather of the way she had talked to her stick when she walked here, 
and it blazed while it thought with such a glad and powerful roaring that she dozed again. She thought the demon did make a few suggestions. She remembered shaking her head to the notion that she should pretend to be Hal's long-lost great-aunt, and to one or two other ones even more far-fetched, but she did not remember very clearly. The demon at length fell to singing a gentle, flickering little song. It was not in any language Sophie knew, or she thought not, until she distinctly heard the word saucepan in it several times, and it was very sleepy-sounding. Sophie fell into a deep sleep, with a slight suspicion that she was being bewitched now, as well as beguiled. But it did not bother her particularly. She would be free of the spell soon. Chapter 4 In which Sophie discovers several strange things When Sophie woke up, daylight was streaming across her. Since Sophie remembered no windows at all in the castle, her first notion was that she had fallen asleep trimming hats and dreamed of leaving home. The fire in front of her had sunk to rosy charcoal and white ash, which convinced her that she had certainly dreamed there was a fire demon. But her very first movements told her that there were some things she had not dreamed. There were sharp cracks from all over her body. Oh! she exclaimed. I ache all over! The voice that exclaimed was a weak, cracked piping. She put her knobby hands to her face and felt wrinkles. At that, she discovered she had been in a state of shock all yesterday. She was very angry indeed with the Witch of the Waste for doing this to her, hugely, enormously angry. Sailing into shops and turning people old, she exclaimed. Oh, what I won't do to her! Her anger made her jump up in a salvo of cracks and creaks and hobble over to the unexpected window. It was above the workbench. To her utter astonishment, the view from it was a view of a dockside town. She could see a sloping, unpaved street, lined with small, rather poor-looking houses, and masts sticking up beyond the roofs. Beyond the masts, she caught a glimmer of the sea, which was something she had never seen in her life before. "'Wherever am I?' Sophie asked the skull, standing on the bench. "'I don't expect you to answer that, my friend.' She added hastily, remembering this was a wizard's castle, and she turned round to take a look at the room. It was quite a small room, with heavy black beams in the ceiling. By daylight it was amazingly dirty. The stones of the floor were stained and greasy, ash was piled within the fender, and cobwebs hung in dusty droops from the beams. There was a layer of dust on the skull. Sophie absently wiped it off as she went to peer into the sink beside the workbench. She shuddered at the pink and grey slime in it, and the white slime dripping from the pump above it. Howell obviously did not care what squalor his servants lived in. The rest of the castle had to be beyond one or other of the four low black doors around the room. Sophie opened the nearest, in the end wall, beyond the bench. There was a large bathroom beyond it. In some ways, it was a bathroom you might normally find only in a palace, full of luxuries such as an indoor toilet, a shower stall, an immense bath with clawed feet and mirrors on every wall. 
but it was even dirtier than the other room. Sophie winced from the toilet, flinched at the colour of the bath, recoiled from green weed growing in the shower, and quite easily avoided looking at her shriveled shape in the mirrors. Because the glass was plastered with blobs and runnels of nameless substances. The nameless substances themselves were crowded onto a very large shelf over the bath. They were in jars, boxes, tubes, and hundreds of tattered brown packets and paper bags. The biggest jar had a name. It was called Drying Power in crooked letters. Sophie was not sure whether there should be a D in that or not. <clears throat> or, or not. She picked up a packet at random. It had skin scrawled on it, and she put it back hurriedly. Another jar said eyes in the same scrawl. A tube stated for decay. It seems to work too, Sophie murmured, looking into the wash basin with a shiver. Water ran into the basin when she turned a blue-green knob that might have been brass and washed some of the decay away. Sophie rinsed her hands and face in the water without touching the basin, but she did not have the courage to use drying power. She dried the water with her skirt and then set off to the next black door. That one opened onto a flight of rickety wooden stairs. Sophie heard someone move up there and shut the door hurriedly. It seemed only to lead to a sort of loft anyway. She hobbled to the next door. By now she was moving quite easily. She was a hale old woman, as she had discovered yesterday. The third door opened onto a pokey backyard with high brick walls. It contained a big stack of logs and higgledy-piggledy heaps of what seemed to be scrap iron, wheels, buckets, metal sheeting, wire, mounded almost to the tops of the walls. Sophie shut that door too, rather puzzled, because it did not seem to match the castle at all. There was no castle to be seen above the brick walls. They ended at the sky. Sophie could only think that this part was round the side, where the invisible wall had stopped her the night before. She opened the fourth door, and it was just a broom cupboard, with two fine but dusty velvet cloaks hanging on the brooms. Sophie shut it again, slowly. The only other door was in the wall with the window, and that was the door she'd come in by last night. She hobbled over and cautiously opened that. She stood for a moment, looking out at a slowly moving view of the hills, watching Heather slide past underneath the door, feeling the wind blow her wispy hair, and listening to the rumble and grind of the big black stones as the castle moved. Then she shut the door and went to the window. And there was the seaport town again. It was no picture. A woman had opened a door opposite and was sweeping dust into the street. Behind that house, a greyish canvas sail was going up a mast in brisk jerks, disturbing a flock of seagulls into flying round and round against the glimmering sea. I don't understand, Sophie told the human skull. Then, because the fire looked almost out, she went and put on a couple of logs and raked away some of the ash. Green flames climbed between the logs, small and curly, and shot up into a long blue face with flaming green hair. Good morning, 
said the fire demon. Don't forget we have a bargain. So none of it was a dream. <laughs>